Habits and Health, Episode 60. Welcome to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to another edition of Habits and Health, the podcast where we give you ideas on different ways to improve your behaviour around health and to to install some new habits which are going to help you more. Today my guest is Dr Mike Mew who qualified as a dentist in the Royal London Hospital in 93 and began working in orthodontics and we're going to explore his journey and some of the problems he's faced along the way in the industry and where he would like, the direction he would like things to go. So that's coming up with Dr. Mike Mew. And I think you might get a lot of value from this, especially if you've got young children. And if you have, please do share the episode with other people who you think could really benefit from some of the wisdom that Mike shares. So right now, it's time for this week's episode. Habits and Health. My guest today is Mike Mew. How are you doing, Mike? Very well, thank you. And uh, Mike, where, where are you, Mike? I'm based in South London in a town called Purley below Croydon, right. on the bottom edges of where, where London meets the countryside. And how would you describe what it is that you do? Okay, well, <clears throat> by profession, I'm an orthodontist. Yeah. I'm trying to modify the way faces grow and develop, right. and then possibly try and modify them once they've grown. Right. And how, because I know you, your father started some quite pioneering work in, in this field many years ago. And you, you were sort of continuing his work. Is that, is that a fair um, description? Uh, yeah, very fair description. Um, in a way, these were started in part by observations that my father made on the work of my grandfather. And my frank grandfather certainly set the seed but he wasn't such an inquiring, inquisitive man as my father was. Right. And, and what was it that your father was doing that was so different to the prevailing, you know, to the rest of the industry? Well, <clears throat> he was trying to treat the causes of the problem. So he was trying to find out why teeth were crooked and try and go to the 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 cause, the, the, the lowest level cause, and seeing if he could affect that. Right. And he came to some interesting conclusions. Some, You know, you don't always know when you head on a quest where it's going to end, and I don't think in his wildest dreams he thought it was going to be this encompassing. Right. And what were the main problems he encountered? Resistance from established viewpoints. And why was that? Because he came to some very different conclusions. It's, it's, a, it's one of those situations where the alternative viewpoint is in opposition to the new suggested viewpoint. In this case, it's whether the problem is caused by the environment or genetics. Right. And previously, we've treated, well, currently today, we treat crooked teeth as a genetic issue 
we're treating it mechanically. And if something's a mechanical solution, you use a mechanical solution if you have a genetic cause. So if something grows like that, that's how it's going to grow. Nothing you can do about it. It's genetic. So we're going to fix it. We're going to correct it with mechanics. Right. And my father and me were suggesting, and I mean, we have more or less all the evidence, so we're very scientifically founded, hmm. that it, it, it's not genetic. It's the environment. Right. You know, crooked teeth is an environmental problem. And it's not just crooked teeth. So it's what I'm saying that crooked teeth are a symptom of faces not growing correctly. Yeah. And suddenly, as I start saying that, that starts to give you some idea how encompassing this is. Right. So I'm saying, if you've got crooked teeth, your face hasn't grown properly. Right. And I'm going beyond that and... The assumption that we've made that is clearly true is that very, very few modern humans get correct facial development and growth. Right. You know, if you compare our ancestors to us, it's almost like we're a different species and there is no evidence that there has been any genetic change over this period. All the evidence, and good evidence, suggests this is an environmental change. And of course, once you start working your way back to the, the cause, what is clear and obvious is that crooked teeth is only one symptom of the way faces are not growing correctly. The thing that confuses me is I've seen mentioned in in books like James Nestor's Breathe and Robert Lustig Metabolical and many other books and obviously yourself talking and many other orthodontists I've had some people on my show like Bill Hang and John Roberts all saying very similar things and with so much archaeological evidence and I find it strange how people can dispute it you can't dispute it you can ignore it that's the only thing to do you can use so the what's thrown back at me all of the time is this response of you have no evidence prove it right now that's a really difficult you know it, it's basically it's the um, evidence stick beat me with the evidence stick beat me beat me beat me it's just so easy to sit at the top of your ivory tower and draw up the drawbridge and say, well, you can't come in until you've got the evidence. And I think, okay, all right, let's think about this scientifically. They're all almost of the quality research in respected peer-reviewed journals clearly demonstrates that the way faces grow and malocclusion, crooked teeth, is due to the environment. It's this disassociation between how we evolved to live and how we are living. And that's clear and obvious. So that you don't need the evidence. But my profession refuses to engage in any debate on any level on this subject. They're saying, um, so when they say, show me the evidence, they want me to do something different. They want me to demonstrate that I can effectively treat children so I can come up with the treatment method 
that makes teeth straight. And it makes teeth straight better than the existing methods. So, they, so I'm not expected to be able to argue a philosophical argument. Not, and you know, that's, that's what science is about. Science is about debating a philosophical argument. You know, we're taught you shouldn't engage in research until you've exhausted the existing evidence that's already there. However, that's not happening in this scenario. In this scenario, I'm expected to go out and somehow prove that I can treat patients and get a better result than the existing method. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of problems here because I'm saying it's the environment that's caused. That means I've got to change people. Right. Well, it's really quite difficult to change people. You know, I'm saying that the core mantra of what I'm saying is stand up straight and shut your mouth because right. you get good facial growth. Hmm. Now, that's not a new idea, hmm. but it's also an idea that's quite difficult to implement. You know, it's quite hard to get kids to change. Right. They don't want to. So I've got a, a real problem in instigating the treatment that I provide. Then, of course, I'm trying to improve facial form. I'm not actually trying to make teeth straight. Right. Yeah, we tend to make teeth straighter, but we expect the individual to straighten their own teeth. Right. I don't like this idea in modern orthodontics that you need to have permanent retention. And I worry that if you do have permanent retention, what you're doing is you're forcing teeth into positions that they don't want to stay in. Right. You're then holding them there basically forever. And you're, or you're almost certainly holding teeth out of their balance zone. Right. You can hold the teeth out of the balance zone. Can you hold the bone and the gums and supporting tissue? Not really. So I see problems in the long term with doing that. But either ways, I'm, in, I'm relying on young children to align their own teeth as I improve their facial form. And yet I have to compete against a system that forces teeth into position. Mm. So I'm, I'm never going to win. Right. And also, there's an old phrase. Who makes money, a dietitian or a liposurgeon? Because right. one drives a Ferrari, the other a bicycle. Right. And who's making the real health impact? So <clears throat> changing people doesn't make money. Right. It's really hard. I mean, I've had to develop a very, very specific skill set of mm. being able to get down to one-on-one -on -one with children, being very good with my hands, and being able to work out what to do next from first principles. Because right. there's no, no one's done this before. So, it's, you know, it's really brain-taxing, particularly when you realize the most important thing is the child, the individual, and what they do. Right. Now, I would love anyone in my profession to do some comparative research with me. So I take 10 cases, they take 10 cases, we do this prospectively, mm -hmm. and we compare the teeth and the faces. Mm. 
I have no doubt, no doubt, that, that just that one piece of research would end all of this forever. But no one will do that with me. And why? You can understand why. You know, they'll show the teeth, but they won't show the faces, because there's a strong concern that when you put fixed braces on people's mouths, you make it more uncomfortable for them to bite together. They don't bite together, and you can, the faces can lengthen. Right. It doesn't happen all the time. I'm not going to say that this happens all the time, but, you know, I think that it happens often enough that no one wants to prospectively compare cases with me, including facial images. Hmm. Because, and I think that we would demonstrate through that that we are improving facial form. Hmm. But, you know, it's difficult. Unless I'm treating twins, unless I have massive numbers, unless I have, you know, randomised clinical control trials, and you need big money to do that because, you know, how can you afford to do that when I'm struggling to stay alive at the moment? Hmm. You know, I, I, I could only do this by working very hard, taking home a really modest wage, and taking big risks. You know, I, I'm risking all the time, everything. And are there other people with similar views to you in, not just in UK, but elsewhere? There are. I don't think anyone, none of them, bar possibly Simon in Australia, actually commits to... Um, as, as, as fundamental as me. Right. You know, a lot of people talk that they kind of believe in these ideas and they'll do their orthodontic treatment differently, but more or less all of them are still using fixed braces. They're all still following, you know, a much more orthodox approach. I'm me and one or two people around the world. There's a good, you know, in Eastern Europe and some, in Poland now, we've got some, um, a sort of, you know, increase, you know, we've managed to stimulate quite a few people to, to work there. Right. And they're getting some nice results. But it's been a hard-won effort and campaign to try and get people to change. Um, why do you think that the orthodontists, dentists are so against this? What, what is the issue for them? Because it's a diametrical opposition. Most of them have heard that somehow we're bad. Very few of them really know what we do. I've, I've never had a decent, you know, a quality scientific engagement with any orthodontist ever. Right. You know, I, I just, I, I can't because it upsets them when you start asking these difficult questions about what's happening and where's it going. Right. But the, the problem is, that we think we see things from such opposite points of view. And then we have to come up with this, you know, this, this very unfortunate topic of retractive orthodontics, to saying that orthodontics can be retractive. Mm. And I think every orthodontist knows that it can be. And it must have happened to everyone once or twice. It happened mm. to me when I was in clinical practice, you know, conventional orthodontic practice. 
And some techniques are far worse than others. And I think every orthodontist knows that. It know, they know that sometimes growth can become unfavorable and there's a chance that might have been due to the treatment that we're being provided. Mm. So you can be retractive. We're unfavorable growth. It's retractive. You know, the face downswings. It gets longer. And this is one of those things that no one wants to admit. And it's like a little sore that sits there that, you know, we've got to talk about it. We've got to discuss this. You know, it can't just be swept under the carpet. I can't feel bad highlighting it in conversation now. And I do feel bad because, it's, you know, I feel like I'm letting the side down even talking about this issue. And it just seems crazy that why they would believe that it's, that the teeth yeah, it's genetic the, you know, the, the, the crooked teeth and, and so on as you mentioned and, uh, and the constriction of the airways and, and all the other issues that are being caused it's um it seems strange why they would have why they would believe that um well i mean people like to believe that the way their face grows is genetic you like that you know you think about who you are, you know, that image on your ID, the image on your passport, that, that, the, the face that looks back to you from any mirror that you see, mm-hmm. that is you, that's your, that, your, you know, that, you know, not many people recognize me from my hands, my leg or my feet. Right. They recognize me from my face. And people don't want to believe that that is mutable, that is changeable. It's almost like their personality is changeable. Right. They are changeable. And I think it, it's deep within us to feel that, that that's just how things are. Right. And the fact that just this is, when you know it's not true, because watch anyone who has a stroke. Right. And you'll see one side of the face fall down. And remember, that is only the surface muscles. I've seen someone who's had a road traffic accident where the core muscles, you know, the, the power muscles of the jaw are cut. And I, I remember visiting, you know, when I worked in hospital and visiting this guy, it seemed like he was changing daily. You know, it's really quite profound when you cut the deep power muscles. But even a stroke, you know, you, you get a large change in facial form. It happens predictably, relatively quickly. And it's... You know, you, you, you see change. So you know faces change. And, and you've done work, I mean, you mentioned about twins. What Can you tell us about some of the work that you've done with twins? And Well, my father did work with twins. And he did work where he treated one twin, didn't treat the other twin, or found a set of twins where one was having orthodontics, the other wasn't. And he had this mismatch. I think, you know, he had, what, eight sets of twins. But, you know, this, this, part, this paper's just been ridiculed by the establishment. They just say, oh, well, is, these are twins. There's not a high enough number. And you go, well, each twin is an interesting case. And they just say, no, it's not. And that's it. You know, you know he's done lots of interesting research. And people have turned around and said, oh, that's not interesting. It's like some of the brilliant work done by um, Harbold, Edvig Harbold, did some fantastic research on monkeys. I mean, and these... The research he did perfectly fit with the greater schematic that we've put together. I mean, absolutely perfectly. And the orthodontic community of Sundaret turned around and go, oh, well, they're monkeys, they don't count. 
And that's it. And they move on and no one looks again. And I've seen, you know, I saw this review of, you know, for example, I saw a review of the book Jaws. So, you know, Sandra Cowan and Paul Eldrick put out this book called Jaws. And they talk about or, this concept down the line. Hmm. And a, a guy, you know, I think it was Ackerman um, along with Prophet. I think Prophet was, you know, he died soon afterwards. I don't think Prophet really contributed. But this Dr. Ackerman put this article out basically discrediting the book Jaws, saying, oh, we've been here before. But, but sorry, he's completely untrue. Right. It's just making it up. No. It's just words put together that are just untrue. What he says is not correct. And he goes on to say, oh, we've been here before. More fool are you for not realising where you've been before so you fall in the same track. And he says some brilliant prose to validate no one else ever looking at it. But what he says is incorrect. It's, 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 it's false, facilious. So, I, I mean, you, you, we, I talked before about are there any places where they are maybe more open to this? And you talked about, like, Poland and so on. I mean, so are there, do you think that, is there any likelihood, likelihood of any countries being more receptive to sort of adopting these sort of techniques, I guess? Um, Tony, I don't think that's the way it's going to go. The main problem here is that the ground's not saying still. My grandfather was taught in the 1920s that if you didn't have space between all of the upper incisors for a half crown at the age of four or five years old, you were going to have problems later in life. Now, a half crown is about two millimeters. That means just between the upper incisors, not going further, mm -hmm. then you've got five millim uh, six millimeters of space. Now, I never see that. I've never seen that in a child ever. Right. Now, from the <clears throat> language you pick up reading what um, Harold Chapman, that was the, the professor teaching this at the time, reading his language, it's quite clear that this was rare. You know, this wasn't a common event. Now, if it wasn't common in the 1920s not to have that much space, and it's now almost unheard of to have that much space, and we're now 100 years later. So in 100 years, we've seen a phenomenal change. You know, there's a lot less space for teeth. And of course, a hundred years ago, most people were having their wisdom teeth working in function. Now, very few people do. And people are having other teeth taken out. And of course, the space is clearly decreasing. Now that's the space for your tongue. We're seeing sleep apnea going up at this alarming rate. I mean, I think those two are related together. But again, you know, whenever I talk, try to talk to sleep groups, well, they're too busy putting CPAPs on people. And they're fixing it. And, and, and it seems to me, I draw these parallels. Well, the orthodontists are too pretty busy putting fixed braces on people. You know, they, they know, why do they need to worry about the cause? Because they can fix it. That in 100 years, we've seen a marked increase, a sea change in the amount of underlying problem going on here. Just as we've seen um, crooked teeth, 
we see sleep apnea and a whole host of these problems related to the head, you know, ENT problems, deviated nasal septums, glue ear, um, sinusitis, um, or, you know, needing adenoids and tonsils removed. You know, the, the, every single one of this is going up an exponential rate. All of them going up exponentially. Now, <clears throat> if you go back, what I notice when I go further east in Europe is people's faces are better. They have nicer faces. And of course, faces that grow well look nice. And if anything has held this subject back, it's that. People think we're just making pretty faces. And it's this thing, me saying, faces that look good work well. So, of course, you can see someone who looks good because you can appreciate that because they look nice. What, what, what is that looking nice? Well, that's a face. You can tell a face that grows well. You're attracted to people who have managed to grow well because they're outward. Is their CV of their health is your face. As you go further east, you can see faces are squarer. They're growing better at the moment. Well, give that another 10, 20 years. Where's it going to be? You know, we've made such a decrease, or such a, you know, decreasing, you know, things have got worse so quickly in 20 years, or about 100 years. But the last, I would imagine, if I was a gambling man, I would say that that's not a straight line over the 100 years. It's increasing. It's going up exponentially. And just give it, you know, give it another 10, 20 years. And I bet you faces in Eastern Europe won't look as good. And of course, all of a sudden, we've gone from that me making a medical comment to me making this what people would call a, a subjective, emotional, um, you know, th this is the problem. How your face grows to be healthy is related to how it looks and how nice it looks. And I, you can't get away from that. Sorry, that's a fact. And that's an emotive fact. It's probably one of the most emotive facts there are. You know, none of the orthodontists will ever show their, fa their facial outcomes to me because they say, oh, it's confidential. So under the cloak of confidentiality, I think there's problems. Problems are being hidden. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe that creating healthy habits should be easy. If you know a friend or a loved one who might be interested in learning simple habits to improve their health, then please share this podcast with them. We also invite you to subscribe and to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to the show. A few minutes ago, you referred to people, you know, to people being given CPAPs and, and so on. And why, why is that an issue? Or why is that yeah. not the correct way to, to solve it? Okay, so let me approach this by just saying that crooked, we think crooked teeth is one symptom of faces that don't grow well. Mm. And clearly if you don't... So go back... Um, a, take, go back 10,000 years. Okay? And we look like a different species. We had these huge, wide dental arches. So, you know, the arch, I say, you know, the shape of your teeth. Your teeth are in an arch. And these, today, we've got incredibly narrow arches. Our ancestors had these huge, wide arches. They always had their wisdom teeth working in function, usually with a centimetre or more space behind their wisdom teeth. 
Now, we've got to the point where, well, you could say, by the end of the medieval period, nearly everyone who had wisdom teeth, now less people with wisdom teeth, but they had them working in function, and the teeth more or less straight. Now we've gone to the situation where most people don't have space for wisdom teeth, and a lot have extra teeth being taken out. Right. Well, of course, how much space for the tongue have we got? Because the space for the tongue is at the inside of the dental arch. Now, with tongues are dropping into airways because there's not enough space. And it seems to me that this is the cause of sleep apnea. It would make absolute sense. Unfortunately, when you, as you become an adult, it's hard to change faces. You can't, it's, it's very hard work, you know. I, I, believe, I, you know, I fundamentally believe that were you to effectively change a habit, you could, but most people don't. For the, all the goodwill in the world, they don't. I'm impressed by these mirrors, but it's usually mirrors under 25, and it's amazing. Go look at some mirroring results. These guys really focus, and they change their facial form. But what you do see is that, according to the surgeons, the gold standard for treating sleep apnea is bimaxillary surgery to move the face up and forward, to gain an upswing in facial form, to achieve exactly what we're trying to do. Right. So if you have a, the, the surgical correction, it is to move the face up and forward, creating space for the tongue. Now, mewing. Okay. Well, I put a lecture covering what I'm saying now on why well, I, I was invited to a lecture. It was a lecture by something called, I think, the 21 Convention. And this was for prepubescent young men. I mean, other lectures up there were on people who were pickup artists. I had no idea what that was till I, um, till in fact, after I'd given the lecture and I was looking at the other lectures on the site. I was, you know, I shouldn't have done the lecture. Anyone who would be giving me advice would say, oh, stay away from that group. Anyway, I was naive. I gave this lecture. And I was swamped, swamped after. I was, you know, with, with kids afterwards. I, the lectures, I finished the lecture, the whole audience came back to talk to me. And they're all saying, so how can I make my face better? And I was, I, I, you know, I'd given a much more theoretical lecture talking about what I, how I intervene with treatment and what I do. But it was clear from the content of the lecture that what I was saying was that anyone who changes their habits couldn't change their facial form. And, well, we know that's true. And I'd had a few lectures on up already, well, I think soon afterwards, where I was explaining to my patients how to improve their swallowing. Because rather than me saying it every time I put a video up, it makes more sense. And these videos went viral, but not so much the videos, actually. I think people were con copying the content and talking about it on various chat sites. I mean, apparently the um, orthotropic Reddit site, I, 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 can't, I can't get my head around Reddit, but... I know there is one. I know it's huge. And I have a huge following. It's, it's, it's vast. I, you know, I, I, 
I, I just the other day I googled I think the top 20 YouTube videos on mewing and associated things and they've all got there's loads of people with more than a million you know up to 10 million hits where they're talking about what I'm saying and apparently this is only the tip of the iceberg because you go to um, China, Japan, South America, uh, India, and a lot of these places where there's huge communities in other languages that we don't speak. Vast communities. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it works. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to basically the same thing I'm saying. The, the, my core mantra, stand up straight and shut your mouth. Right. Is, is, this isn't rocket science, but these kids have basically taken this idea and kicked it out the ballpark and then they post images of themselves gaining change and it blows me away the changes they gain you know you see this kid from Kazakhstan who's got you know an adenoidal face you know a long face you know he looks like a horse or something and he then posts a side-by-side photograph where he's got this chiseled jaw and it just blows my mind what they've achieved. I, I don't know how many. I mean, there's enough photographs, but there's enough people doing it. But of course, when I see that type of structural change on someone, I'm thinking, oh, you must have gained a lot of health benefit. You know, basically, a, a face that's the right shape works well. You know, you see these, you know, we've got, the Klitschko brothers in Kiev hitting the headlines at the moment, they look more like our ancestors look like. We're all, I mean, all of us, genetically programmed to be a bit more like them. In fact, not like more like them, even, you know, all more solid faces. If you grow up on an ancestral diet, that's how you'd be, with perfectly straight teeth, never seen an orthodontist, never seen a dentist. See all these indigenous people. Some guy walks off the African Serengeti, the Australian Outback, or the Brazilian Rainforest. And they stand beautifully. They've got a, a chiseled face with great bone structure. Big, broad smile, all 32 teeth in place. Never seen an orthodontist. Don't wear retainers. And what's interestingly, they look more like your ancestors than you do. They look just like your ancestors. You know, all our ancestors had perfectly straight teeth. Go back 10,000 years, every single one of them. Very rare for them to be missing a tooth or a tooth to be small, diminutive. And they look surprisingly similar. Right, and talking of Murin, Mike, I know you've, you've released the, the Murin app and I downloaded the app. No, no, you can't download the Murin app. There is no Murin app. There is. Because I've got to have it, and I've been using it. Which one? Mewing app on a phone? Yeah. It's um, it's called Mewing. Yeah, I've been using it for the last 40 we've days. We've not released our Mewing app yet. Well, there is one available. It's not mine. Ah, okay. Interesting. Because, but you, I heard you talk about a Mewing We're app. We're going to release a Mewing app. I'm totally unaware anyone has done But, you know, I, I'm an orthodontist. I'm not a businessman. We're getting there. We're, we're talking about it. We're, you know, hopefully we're finishing it up fairly soon. 
and we're going to get it out. Right. And when, when do well, you... I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I never cease to be amazed at other people's efforts to um, do exercises. On the, the mewing app you've got there, has that got, it's not got me on it. No, it doesn't mention you, no. No, it just it gives videos of exercises and, as I said, a mewing checklist. and, and Videos stuff. of exercises with who on it? It's just a video of just someone. It's not, you know, they don't say who the person is. Well, it's a free world. And in a way, you know, I, I can't knock this because it's helping promote me. Hmm. On mewing, so are there, to your knowledge, are there many people doing it on a daily basis that have managed to, like older people say, that have managed to... Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, my day is a busy day. Hmm. You know, I just, I work myself hard and I don't have time to spend time on the internet attempting to um, check these things out. Right. So are you only working with sort of children or you're not working with adults? No, we're starting to work towards slightly older adults and we're getting some, you know, interesting results. It's just that it, it's really hard work to do research and have a research establishment privately funded. Right. Particularly when, you know, it's all on, on a profit. I don't have any... Um, donations i don't have anything you know aiming to help me move this forwards it's all through the income we generate in the clinic right so is the but is it the majority of people you work with are children the majority yes certainly is the majority i mean we have a lot of interest from adults i have to kind of hold them back in a way so that we can Select the right ones, because this is a magnet for people who fascinate about their faces. Mm. And, you know, think somehow, you know, they see what I'm saying, they see the theory of it, and they see this is going to be some easy ride where they can turn up here and I will make them better. Right. This is one of the big problems I see in medicine. You know, with, with more, if I, got, if I went out onto the street today and I got hit by a, num, you know, double-decker, red london bus mm -hmm. i would have injuries that a hundred years ago i would have had a 95 percent chance of dying from right. today with modern medicine i have a 95 percent chance of surviving right. now that's quite impressive that's um you know a, a miracle of modern science mm. you know we've got anesthetics antibiotics We've got knowledge of bacteria and the infective process. We've got, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's incredible what we've achieved with modern medicine. And, you know, sometimes I think we need to remember that because there are a lot of alternative health groups who I think sometimes belittle the achievements that have been happened in modern medicine. Mm. However... If you have a chronic disease, well, I think it's about time modern medicines, you know, hospitals, put their hands up and they said, well, actually, we're struggling here. Mm. We're looking for, you know, has anyone else got any bright ideas? We haven't got all the answers for these things. Right. And it's, you, know, you could say that a lot of these chronic diseases 
are related to the disjunct between how we evolved to live and how we are living, and it's our lifestyles are making us ill. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> that comes back to your mission here, you know, habits. Mm. Because it's our habits, it's our lifestyles that are causing these problems. <laughs> and in reality, we have to change. That's the answer. Yeah. So you've got people coming along to me and they can understand the philosophy of what I'm saying, but as hard as they think they need to change, they don't. We've got this concept in our heads, doctor, make me better. Here's the money, I'll make you better. Right. So it's, it's not... You know, people don't understand the, 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 the effort and hassle that they have to go to to make themselves better. Mm. Do you think that what is the prospect of some new young people coming into the, the industry taking on your approach in the next few years? At the moment, right now, as it stands, very little. Because... Oh. You know, it's, it's, I, I can't, I, it's, it's like my profession just doesn't want to know. No. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. My father came out, so he, he started in the, I think, the 50s trying to ask for a debate on white teeth are crooked. Mm-hmm. You know, th- th- as I've done, just pursuing the normal roots of science. Mm. But the profession didn't want to know, and he carried on. He was, you know, at the time, he was one of the, the golden boys of orthodontics. The blue-eyed boys coming up. And he then, everyone burnt their bridges with him as he became more and more and more focused on the truth and realizing that the thing wasn't set up to find answers. Mm -hmm. It was set up... You know, I I don't know, it sounds bad saying this of my profession. It seems to be more set up to... for the benefit of the profession, not the benefit of the patient. And you know, I, you know, it pains me to say that, but it just, this is how it seems. And it didn't, you know, all you've had is about, so then my father got to the point where he went on dispatches, a channel four program in about 1998, where he said he really thought that orthodontics can damage facial form. You know, this is the big thing that no one wants to talk about. That even, I'm just mentioning this on the radio with you. I, I, I know I'll get, um, you know, people will be, oh, you know, it's not the done thing. It's not, you know, it's not what you're supposed to do. Anyway, he went on dispatches. His reputation was shredded. He um, was completely ostracized from the profession. Um, that still hangs on today. And yet no one ever asked him what he meant. No one came to him and said, oh, what is your concern? Okay, try and validate this concern. Let's let's address it. Let's engage with you on what your concern is. No, they didn't do that. No one looked into it. Interestingly, the orthodontic profession suddenly did quite a lot of research to demonstrate that they didn't damage faces. But they looked at a completely different aspect they, you know, they, what they did was they took this, this controlled area 
of potential facial damage and focused on that and clearly demonstrated that, you know, they, they probably didn't cause any damage there, no. But completely different from what you were saying. Completely, fundamentally different. And they never engaged with him. Mm. And, but then, of course, they say to him, show your cases. Show, show, show where you're going. And, of course, he, it's difficult to demonstrate because, in, you know, it's so easy to take someone in complete isolation, ask them to produce evidence and say, well, that's not good enough. You don't have any. Right. You know, that analogy I was saying earlier on, you know, you know, the idea with science is you come up with an idea that's tested with existing research and you go on to set up an experiment and do it. And of course, it, it, that's not happening in the profession. What happens in the profession? They say, oh, show me your results. It's all people are interested in. Show me your results. Right. Which is a complete nonsense, scientifically. Mm -hmm. But it's so easy just to dismiss someone's results as, oh, no, that's not good enough. And, and we all move on. But it seems that the, the, under the word of the orthodontic, the members of the orthodontic community, have influenced the entire dental community based on their position, really. They've said, no, no, move along. There's nothing going on here. And if I talk, if I go and meet dentists, dentists go, oh, they just roll their eyes when they hear my name. No. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm proved wrong before I've opened my mouth. And everyone knows malocclusion's genetic. Everyone knows that. And it's just saying, you know, we've got a profession that's holding things completely untrue. As, as, as true. And the reason none of the profession listen to us is not because we're scientifically wrong. No, it's because their mate, the orthodontist, has said so. Right. And that carries the weight. You know, something interesting, I mean, and kind of related to some of what you're saying, I was reading a book I'm reading at the moment. It's called Metabolical by um, Robert Lustig, I think is the author's name. Yeah. And he was talking about in, um, in the States and the UK and certain other countries, I think he talked about Australia, the the there was a period where dentists were telling patients you shouldn't take you shouldn't eat sugar you shouldn't consume sugar that was like the biggest problem and then that was stopped and but in poor countries that still happens because they don't have the money for for dentists and and they're given the advice not to consume sugar it's how the importance of it but not in places like the UK and the US and Australia do you have any, any any thoughts on that as to why that is? Okay, well, I'm seeing a slightly different pattern because I tend to treat people who are in the educated and slightly alternative world, and I've seen the sugar now go down. Right. So I don't see decay in my the, the, the patients I treat. Right. So I would say, it's for me, it seems to be this wave that as you start becoming wealthier in your country, you start getting this in, in, uh, increase in sugar, and then it decreases as you get more educated further down the line. Right. And I, so the, pe the people I see decay in, the people who have come in from Eastern Europe. Okay. So people have come in from, I don't, don't want to call these countries less developed, but they haven't been developed for as long. So I'm seeing a slightly different pattern because, of course, I'm seeing sugar, one of the, you know, the canary 
of eating too much sugar is decay, particularly mm. decay in childhood teeth. Right. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what the, the actual volume of sugar being consumed in a lifetime is, but with with crooked teeth, there seems to be this nice, even parallel with the less developed a country is, the more well, the straighter the teeth are, right. and the better facial form there is. Right. You know, you you it, it, you can draw some fairly simple parallels. It's not always the way because you know you've got big areas like China and India that attained quite a high standard of living. A thousand years ago, you know, they, they went into a moderate standard of living a thousand years ago <clears> and then stayed, I think, slightly more static while Europe then overtook and now they're catching up. So that's they're not a straight line. It's not a linear pattern. You see that. But, you know, it, it's it's it's, it's a, would be a great area of research. I would love to spend time looking at this and people like Coracini have and. It's yeah, it's it's amazing that there's such good quality research out there just being ignored because it doesn't fit the actual clinical practice. And my worry is clinical practice is determining the treatment being provided, which is the worst case scenario. Mm. You ask me, I don't see any young minds coming into this. Not until November. So in November, I have a court case. So the powers that be have are trying to nail me up, and they're trying to properly nail me up with some court cases. So I'm going to be taken to court to the General Dental Council. And, of course, this will be the big deciding line. You know, I think that after that court case, I think we will see a very different position. But the fact that I've got to go through the stress, I mean, it is just, like I said to you when we started this, last night was a bad night. It just, you know, the, I've got Crohn's disease as well, which is a chronic health-related condition, stress-related condition. This is killing me. I mean, this is really, really having major impacts on my health and my mental and physical health as well. Right. You know, it, it, this is really, really tough. And all I'm doing is asking for a debate on the, you know, I spent, <clears throat> I did a six year letter writing campaign asking from everyone, you know, members of parliament, um, the gen four chairs of the General Dental Council, um, you know, anyone who was anyone, I just said to them, we need a debate on why teeth are crooked. Mm. And we got, I got nowhere. I think it's crazy. I'm saying, listen, and clearly that we're treating 30% of the population of this country. In what is really quite a invasive, you know, fixed braces, just because everyone has them, don't think that these things are benign. Mm. Don't think that having teeth out is benign. Mm. And all I'm asking for is a debate on why are teeth crooked. Right. You know, as I said, you know, here's a phone, you know, holding up my iPhone. All right. This has been achieved by the scientific process. Be careful when you stop the scientific process, mm. particularly in medicine. You know, all I'm asking for is debate. And, you know, I, I, no one seemed to, I, I cannot believe how my profession weren't interested. Mm. It just, it, 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 it makes me numb just to think of that. And 
hopefully they're going to be interested because now they're actually taking me to court. And of course, as luck would have it, you know, I put these videos up. I now have this big following on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I now, you know, I, I could actually get, I can get traction when I say things. Mm. And if it wasn't for that, you know, I don't know if you would have found out about me. Well, Mike, if people want to find out more about you and your, you know, as you progress towards this um, situation, you know, at the end of the year, how, what's the best way for them to find out about you? Well, I guess go to my YouTube channel, you know, Orthotropics YouTube channel. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, it would be good. I mean, we're just starting to learn a campaign. We're going to try and get... Um, we're going to start trying to raise funds to help me fight this court case. You know, I, I, my, my insurer provided, ins- you know, lawyers that just wanted me to keep absolutely quiet and be stom. And I think approach this, I, and I believe in completely the wrong way. Right. And so we're, I've had to go and get my own insurance. Um, you know, I wanted to buy a house. I sold my first house just to fund what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. I was going to buy another house, basically with the funds that my sister and our, my brother-in-law had made for me by developing properties, and <clears throat> I'm now having to blow most of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, I've had to, you know, focus my entire life. Just, and I, I don't get paid much. I, I don't know, you know, sometimes wonder why the hell we do these things. Mm-hmm. But someone's got to do it because we have to have the truth. Yeah, this is everyone in the world's faces. It's a fundamental element of their health. A mm. face that doesn't, a face that isn't the right shape doesn't work correctly. You know, mm. sleep apnea, crooked teeth, forward head postures, jaw joint problems, all of these other ENT things from, you know, adenoids, tonsils, glue ear, sinusitis, deviated nasal septum, all of these things, something is happening. Our ancestors didn't have this. Mm. We need to do something. And we start with the cause. You know, my profession has no idea what causes it, what the epidemiology is, what the pathological uh, process is, or what the cure is, because permanent retention isn't cure. And you go to 10 different orthodontists, you'll have at least 10, if not 20 or 30 different opinions on what to do. That that, that cannot be correct. I just, it it defeats me. Well, why no one's interested in the base level science. Well, hopefully podcasts like this and you know can can get you some support with with um with some luck and i i really appreciate you taking the time to to talk with me and um yeah good luck with the with the case thank you very much thank you mate okay next week episode 61 with nicola singleton nicola appeared on bbc one's doctor in the house five years ago with dr rangan chatterjee and has gone from being housebound to recovered from ME, CFS and fibromyalgia. And she's going to begin to talk about the journey she went through during that recording of that episode, how um, Rangan Chatterjee was able to help her and what's happened since then. It's a very interesting story. So that's next week, episode 61 with Nicola Singleton. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please do share this with someone who would get some more value from it. And I hope you have a great week.
Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.